Well, good morning. Happy Easter. Happy Resurrection Sunday. My name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, and I just want to say, kids, great job making it through 20 verses of Mark 5. Uh, we've got an abbreviated sermon and then a few more songs, a couple more songs after this while we do communion. So just a little bit longer. You guys are doing great. Um, that just, Really, this is just a reminder that we have uh, kids with us. The two older classes are in with us, um, and so you're going to hear some noise and might be a little bit distracted, but um, please uh, just have, have grace on these kids. They're not used to sitting through a whole service. They join us for worship usually and then go in on to their class, but uh, we want to celebrate uh, with our children's ministry this morning. Well, I'm going to go ahead and just jump right into it because it is an abbreviated sermon and my clock has already started. But I've got some questions for you. Uh, do you fail? Yes. I did not expect an answer. Yeah. Do, you, do your actions harm people? Happy Easter. Yes. And, and if, you're, if you didn't answer, maybe your answer to that is no. Keep listening. But we all feel it. We feel it closely, right? We feel sin closely. Kids, if you um, could just take a second and reflect on your actions, maybe if you've ever heard um, the word selfish, right? We know that when we're selfish, we're only doing things that matter to us and we don't care about other people. It's not just kids who are selfish. Adults are selfish a lot, all right? Have you ever felt like you wanted to do something so bad and didn't have the control to stop yourself? It, you even knew that it was wrong. You knew that it was against uh, permission, that your parents would be upset with you. You just couldn't help yourself. Do you feel that way? I see a lot of smirks, like holding back laughing. Adults feel the same way too, right? I remember um, growing up, I would have this conversation with my mom frequently, so I'll just paraphrase because I can't tell you all the different ways we had this conversation, but she would say something like, Ryan, why did you do that? You know you're not supposed to, and I would genuinely respond. Like, I'm not covering up. I'm not hiding. I'm not just trying to get out of the conversation. I would genuinely respond, I don't know. I know that was wrong. I don't know why I did it anyway. Or sometimes when I really felt it, it was just the speechless, the shoulder shrug, right? Let me read a quote to you. Um, this, is, this quote is from a real person, a person who uh, struggled with sin daily, struggled with disobedience daily, he says, I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. It's like I'm at war within myself. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound familiar? Not because you know the quote, but because you know yourself. It's like I'm at war within myself. And what if I told you these were the words of the Apostle Paul, written in the book of Romans, in chapter 7? So no shame. Even the guys that wrote the Bible felt this way. 
Okay? Let's read it again. I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. That's Romans 7, 18 through 19. A little bit later, he says, my desires are at war within myself. How human is that? Now, if you can relate to this, congratulations, you admitted that you're a human. But if you can relate to this, I want to encourage you with something. I want to encourage you that um, even though it probably feels like you're farther from grace and forgiveness, it feels like you're farther from life, you are closer. I promise you. There's a, a 17th century Scottish Puritan, Samuel Rutherford, he puts it this way. He says, when we think we're going backwards because there is deadness. That, that word, when I type that word, um, my, my word processor wanted to correct that because it's not a word, but I like that word, deadness. When you feel like you're moving backwards, like you feel like you're behind because there is deadness. We are going forward. You're actually going forward because the more awareness means the more life. I lost my spot. And no awareness argues there is no life. When you feel like you're moving backwards because of the deadness, be encouraged. The more you are aware of your sin, the closer you are to life. Because when you are unaware of your sin, you are under an illusion that sin is not in you. When you are unaware that you are sick, you are under an illusion that you are well. Jesus says in Mark 2.17, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus is not saying there's two types of people. There's the well, the people who are fine, who don't need a doctor, and then there's the sick. He's actually saying there's only one type of person, sick. All of us are sick. All of us are in sin. All of us are dead. We all feel the deadness, and we feel behind because of it, right? But what Jesus is saying is if there's two types of people, there's people who are under the, the illusion that they're well, and there are people who know fully that they are not well. And so I want to argue um, that Paul in Romans 7 is pulling out this human feeling of this deadness as a way to remind himself of his weakness and his need. You see, in uh, verse 24, he asks an incredibly challenging question. One that you've probably felt, maybe you've not asked it this way, but you felt it. He says, who will save me from this body of death? I'm at war within myself. I don't do the good I want. I keep doing the evil I don't want. I'm at war within myself. And so this prompts us to ask the same question. Who will save me from this body of death? Is salvation even possible for me? Have I gone too far? Have I removed myself? 
Will I ever be free from the power of sin that feels like it just clings so close that remains in my flesh? Will I ever actually live in the hope of new life in Christ? Is there hope for me to grow? Is there goodness and mercy that will follow me even after I commit my life to Jesus for salvation? Who will save me from this body of death? Now, in Mark 5, we see this picture, this story of a man who seems to us very unhuman. It almost feels like a zombie movie, doesn't it? He's not a man, but he's possessed by these many demons. I want to argue that this is the most human person besides Jesus. He is the most human person that we've met so far in Scripture. And I believe that because there is no illusion in this man that he's any different than he is. There's a parallel to his physical reality that imitates and mimics and it perfectly represents his spiritual reality. This man is bound in chains, but he keeps breaking free from these chains. There's this illusion of freedom, right? But he knows that his soul has just been taken over by darkness. Here's how, um, here's how far off he is. This man was beyond every human attempt to control him, every human attempt, attempt to protect himself and to protect the, the community around him. He was beyond repair. The, the demons that were in him were set on distorting and destroying this man because that's, that's what demons do. Um, there's very few questions that I'll be able to answer about our text. One of those that I'm, I'm able to answer is that the role of demons, their goal is to distort and destroy the image of God in man. And that's, that's what they're doing to this man. And he hasn't died physically yet. He's died inside a long time ago. And his physical death is imminent. The way that this story is told is meant to get us in that moment. He's in such a bad way that he even wandered the mountains around these tombs, screaming out in agony or for help or probably both. And while he's screaming, he's cutting himself with rocks, probably as a, a way of false worship, probably begging for help from the false gods that he, as a, a Gentile, was used to worshiping is this self-mutilation that was a way to say, I'm sorry, whatever I did, please help me. He was in such a bad way that he had to have been wondering constantly, who will save me from this body of death? The lines became so blurred between who he was and who this legion inside of him was. He was under no illusion this man is a, a great illustration of the reality that we are in. Please do not look past this man to the next part of the story. We need to sit here for a second to realize we are this man. We live in a comfortable world. We have a lot of discomforts. But if you look at the external lives of the people around you, you would probably be fooled into thinking everything's great in their life. 
This is what social media does for us, right? We are under an illusion that either that we are okay or that it's possible for us to be okay here. This man illustrates humanity so well because he is not under any illusions, or let me use a different word, any delusions. There has been no one who has fooled him into thinking this in the same way that that we are deluded and pulled away thinking that we're fine or that we can be fine. We just have to try harder. One of the other questions... um, that I want to answer is why the pigs? Like, what's the deal with the pigs? Did y'all wonder that? Thousands of pigs. Um, the, the important part, before I answer the, the pigs question, of all of the things that you wonder about this passage, and those are great questions to ask, of all the things that you wonder, what's the most important thing to realize is that God is so in control that even the demons know it. When they ask Jesus for mercy, don't send us out, please send us into the pigs. They know he's in control. As much as the demons are set on distorting and destroying the image of God and man, they know that Jesus is set on restoring and bringing back to life the image of God and man. And so they can do nothing but submit to him because they know that their end is near. When they say, I adjure you by God, what they're saying is, we know that God has a date set for us to destroy us. Please don't destroy us before then. And Jesus, true to the Father, following the wishes and the will of his Father says, yes, I'm gonna let my Father decide this one and I will send you into the pigs. They know their day is coming. Jesus casts these demons out into the pigs. One, to walk in obedience to the will of his father, trusting that, okay, the day for their destruction is coming. I'm gonna trust the father with that. But he also sent them out as a way to show this man how near to death he was. Because what happens to the pigs? They run off a cliff. And the longer and longer this demon-possessed man wanders the mountains crying out for help, the longer and longer he wonders, when is the end of my life going to come? And Jesus shows how near to death he was because of the sin and the darkness within him. That the instant those demons went into the pigs, They died. The pigs are there to illustrate. It's like like a near-miss car crash. Have you ever seen those those videos? It's like a near-miss car crash that this man was meant to feel, that we as the readers are meant to feel, to ask ourselves, how close was I? If Jesus would have waited until tomorrow, if Jesus would not have calmed the storm on the way to get me, would that have been my end? It's meant to show us that what happened to the pigs was about to happen to him. And do not forget, we are this man. 
the only way to true life, the only way to end up the way this man ends up and not like the pigs is, is if Jesus comes to you, is if Jesus goes from heaven to earth, if Jesus puts a storm to death on his way to come after you. The only way to true life is if Jesus shines the light from heaven, the light in him into your darkness. It's then and only then that we will ever truly have life. And we heard the story. That's exactly what happened. That's exactly what happened for this man because it's meant to tell us that this is exactly what can happen for us. In Romans 7, 24, Paul asked that honest question, right? Who will save me from this body of death? But then he follows that up in verse 25. Thanks be to God, it is through Jesus Christ, our Lord. You see, what's important for us to understand about Mark 5, about this whole book, about the story of this man and the miracle, is that if that's it, if the story ends there, if Jesus doesn't make it to the cross, if there is no resurrection like some say, then what's the point? This man is set free from the tombs to live life for a little bit more, but he's gonna die. And if there's no resurrection, then there's no hope for him on the other side. If, if any of you in here um, don't consider yourself a Christian, or maybe if you do and you can think back to when you weren't a Christian, this is one of those predominant thoughts. Like, is there hope? Or maybe at this point, you're sure there's no hope. And you think all these Christians are just wasting their time. There's nothing on the other side of this life. That is true. That is a plausible argument. That is reasonable to consider if the resurrection never happened. <laughs> Let, let's just sit there, right? Paul says, then we are the most to be pitied because we just wasted our whole lives. But thankfully, we do have hope, right? We do have hope. Because Jesus did die on the cross. The story doesn't end with Mark 5. He did die on the cross. He was raised from the dead. Now, in order for this miracle to mean something to this man, to empower him to go out into his community and start just a wildfire of church planting, he goes and this region explodes with faith in Jesus. If for this to mean something to him, for this to mean something to the audience of Mark, the, the, the early church in the first century, and for this to mean something to us today, 2,000 years later, for this to mean anything, then Jesus had to walk through darkness and death himself for us. In order for this story to make any sense, Jesus had to die. He had to go into the tomb and experience death as a man. He had to be hung up on a cross. 
But in order for this story to have any permanent lasting effect, he had to be raised from the dead. So in his death, in order to win forgiveness for us, then Jesus had to accept the penalty of our sin for us on himself. But then for there to be anything beyond forgiveness. Like what if, what if in our relationships we wrong someone and we ask for their forgiveness and say, yes, I forgive you, but I'm leaving forever and you never get to have a relationship with me again. Is that really forgiveness? Maybe verbally, but it sure doesn't feel like it. And so if Jesus says, I forgive you, and he stays in the tomb, what's the point? Then we're the most to be pitied. Jesus died so that life could be possible. Jesus rose from the dead so that life could be permanent. There is hope for us. There is hope for us who have not experienced salvation. There is hope for us who feel like we're too far from, for Jesus to save us. Or maybe like we've walked ourselves so far backwards that we've made ourselves just out of contention for salvation. There is hope for us who feel like sin still clings closely even though I made that commitment so long ago. All there is for you to do is given to us in Mark 1.15 at the very beginning of this story. The kingdom of, of freedom, the kingdom of forgiveness, the kingdom of permanent life, it's here. It's in person. Repent. Turn from your sin and believe, trust in Jesus. That's all you have to do. For those of us who believe the resurrection of Jesus really is our only hope, of, of any hope of bringing this deadness that feels like it just remains into life. We have no power to do that ourselves. Now, let me, let me ask you, do you feel like there is still power in you to do that? that you, there's something you haven't yet done to bring the deadness to life? If your answer is yes, I'm gonna tell you there's not. Just stop while you're there. There's nothing you can do. If you keep trying, you keep ending up like this man stuck in the tombs, breaking free from the chains, but still in bondage. The only hope he had was Jesus coming to him. The only hope we have is repent and believe that Jesus came to me. We don't have any, any power or action or ability in us. That's this, this Romans 7, 18 through 19 thought, right? Keep, keep pondering that. Hold that on in, in your soul for a bit. After we leave here to later today, as you go through your week, go back to Romans 7, read verses 18 and 19, and feel that tension of, man, I, there's good I want to do, but I can't bring myself to do it, okay? And then 
Just remember, there's an answer to the question, who will save me from this body of death? Is through Jesus Christ, okay? Um, as we constantly fill our desires and our affections with Jesus, remembering the love that he's given us in his life, in his death, in his resurrection, as we remember Jesus' affections for us, as we fill ourselves with more affection for him, as we pursue him, as we seek after him, then there's this slow but sure transition of my desire for sin is being replaced with the person of Jesus. All you have to do is turn from that sin and put Jesus in that place. Now, I heard a quote from Thomas Goodwin, another Puritan. He says, God makes haste slowly. God acts quickly, but it takes a lifetime. We, are, we can be sure that, that what Jesus has done for us is set in stone, but it's gonna take the rest of our lives to live this out. So be kind to yourself, be patient with yourself. It takes a lifetime. You're not behind, you're not moving backwards. It takes a lifetime of depending on the spirit of God to do this work in us because it's the spirit of God in us that is the very same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead, okay? And he's committed to you for the rest of your life and that's how long it's gonna take. Now, if you do not consider yourself a Christian, if you do not believe that any of this is true, if you believe that we are the most to be pitied, I want to ask you, just reflect on that Romans 7, 18 through 19. Just take the time this morning while we go get, get communion later. Just sit and, and ponder that and consider, don't I feel this war within me? Don't I feel that tension? Don't I feel sometimes like I just want an answer to the question, who will save me from this body of death? And when you ask yourself that question, let me remind you, You've already been given the answer. Thanks be to God, because it is through Jesus Christ, our Lord. For us who trust in Jesus to take our place in death by dying on the cross. For us who trust in Jesus' resurrection to lead the way to life forever with God. And that's not like an in heaven life, that's a right now life. We have eternal life today. then let's, let's share this meal of the body of Jesus broken for us and the blood of Jesus poured out for us. Let's share this meal as a common confession that we trust, we believe, that we repent, and we believe that this is the gospel, this is the good news that has transformed our lives. And let's, let's keep remembering this and proclaiming this until he comes back and until he comes back for us to bring us into the forever resurrection that we long so deeply for. Now we're gonna do communion a little bit different this morning. Um, this morning we've got communion out in the hallway. It's, if you go out the door and then you kind of turn towards the, like on this side, it's gonna go to the left. 
on this side, it's gonna go to the right. It's gonna be tricky, it's gonna take some time. We wanted to prioritize having everyone in this room. We put 20 something extra seats in here and I think most of them are getting used because we wanted to prioritize everybody being in here this morning. So we're gonna go out into the hall for communion. Just be patient, it's gonna take some time. Um, but let's celebrate this morning what Jesus has done. Okay? Please join me at the table.